the hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries showcasing real-life tragedies. What about with your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. back with an illness it's the state of combat podcast on cbs sports with the brian campbell mixed martial arts edition in your ear hole guys we are fresh off of ufc 244 so much to talk about i'm fresh off a trip to canelo kovalev in sin city and i know what they say what happens in vegas stays in vegas unfortunately it stays in your bloodstream for the next four days so bear with me as I gut out this show. Let's bring in the guys who can actually speak without throwing up. The Hall of Famer, Sugar, Rashad Evans. What's going on, BC? What's going on? I'm Which fighting is- the good fight, Rashad. All right? All right? <laughs> you know that city. It'll kill you if, if you let it. It'll take yeah. your soul. It's good you only got sick. That's it. That's a win. <laughs> good thing I didn't get pregnant. All right. Let me bring in Brandon Wise, CBS Sports editor, writer, uh, the six five glass of water. How you doing, B Wise? I'm good, BC. It's you know you're sick when you can't get off of your uh, your normal intro for me correctly. So we're gonna we're gonna get through this together. All right. This is CBS Sports. This is the State of Combat, and this is your MMA edition. Please, if you want to support our show, head on out to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do all that five star review jazz. But I'm not gonna waste any time here, folks, because I don't know how long my voice will last. We got a lot to get into, such a big weekend of action, and the headlines spinning forward. So why don't we start off right there? 244 guys over the weekend. New York, Madison Square Garden, BMF. Um, I happened to watch it because I was sitting in MGM Grand Garden Arena in Vegas for Canelo Kovalev, and DAZN made this unprecedented decision to hold off the main event and put the damn show up in the arena above the rafters. Uh... This show delivered. Holy crap. No, it, it really did. It really did. It, it was one of those uh, ones that, you know, and, and it's rare. You know, sometimes you get these fights that are so hyped up and it just doesn't live out. But this one played it all the way through to the end, even with the drama at the end, setting up another fight and another BMF, BMF match. I mean, this is this is a win. The president was there. I mean, come on. It couldn't get bigger than that. The Dwayne The Rock Johnson there to put the BMF title around the waist. Look, I had said coming in that uh, I didn't think they maybe had the okay they had the right two guys because Diaz and Masvidal were are just badass BMFs, but they might not have had the right combination of personalities who could bring the sort of the outrage upon each other. Sort of like did they mesh in terms of one playing the heel, one playing the 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 baby face just to try to get us fired up. That didn't end up happening, but I didn't anticipate, guys, what did happen, right? Aside from the great fight and the violence and the controversial ending and all that stuff we're going to get into, from the idea of just BMF and how 
absurd this was and how, like, as a fan, you're like, this is a gift to us. I did not expect once they got in that cage and, and Buffer's announcing them how much I would get the feels for each of their respective journeys to get here and how much, you know, you know Masvidal's story and even Nate and Nate at the weigh-in getting to introduce his brother Nick Diaz as the greatest fighter of all time and Nick walking him down. And it was like we knew this was a unique sort of graduation situation for both those guys because they've been so real that they were real back when the company hated them and they're still real that the companies realized they got to come around to support them. And I kind of popped for that. Did you, did, you, did you catch those feels? Yeah, I definitely caught those feels, you know, and just the whole just the whole the magnitude of what this, you know, the BMF thing, it kind of, you know, brought in a different fe- feeling that, you know, no belt has brought in for a while, you know, and that was really refreshing to see. And, and you know, evident of that is just the people who were just in attendance who just had to be there. You know, it's been a long time since there's been a, a UFC or a fight event in that nature where people are like, you know, I don't know where I have to be, but I need to be there. And, you know, people show it out for the fight. And that goes to show that both of these guys, they do have the star power. And, you know, the UFC is right to get behind both of these guys because, you know, they're they're super hot right now, especially Masvidal. Yeah, damn right. Wow. Masvidal is super hot right now. Uh, Let's get into this fight. It was a five round welterweight bout. BMF title on the line. You may have thought that was insanely awesome. You got the rock there. It's pro wrestling in your face in a real fight. You may have thought it's lame. Either way, I'd said last week that these are the right two guys from the violent standpoint, from the standpoint of this is going to be a real fight, meaning they're fighting for the purest of of terms, right? Like, yeah, there's money at stake in future fights and BMF for what it's worth, you know, although they did put 50 grand into that belt. Um I would have liked some barbed wire on it, something a little bit different than the Power <laughs> Ranger look, but that's fine. Uh, but look, in the end, for as long as this lasted, and that was three rounds, these guys were willing to fight to the death. And I say that respectfully. They were willing to just fight through whatever it took. And I sat there at ringside uh, waiting on Canelo. Canelo laid on that couch with his gloves on watching the same thing. And these guys delivered a hellacious fight. First round could be your round of the year. Uh, it, it was hellacious. Nate with cuts below and above his right eye, bad cuts that eventually led to that stoppage. But Brandon, you have been day one-ish on Maz Vidal's resurgence here. You bought the three-piece Minnesota t-shirt off some bootleg website. That's your boy. And, uh, you know, I'll take L's, man. I'll sit on the L. I mean, that would probably hurt a little bit, but I'll sit on the damn L when <laughs> I need to. I didn't realize, even with the knockout of Till, even with the luck slash perfection knockout of Askren, I didn't even realize Masvidal was this good. I picked Nate Diaz to win a five-round decision. And you can argue with the stoppage on the cut. We'll get to that in a second. Whether he could have rallied to do that, I don't think so, but whatever. But you know what I learned about this fight? That Jorge Masvidal is, is, is super necessary. He's super elite because he took Nate Diaz apart in round one. So shout out to your boy. Shout out to South Florida. Shout out to people like you who live on the tip of that peninsula. <laughs> he, I mean, it was just like my overarching takeaway was like he outstruck a volume striker. And that's just insane to me. Like he took apart a dude who's known for just getting in your face with his pressure and then just throwing everything he's got at you and making it so that you have to think and then you have to react. And he outstruck him. It was just it was crazy. And the power with which he was landing was just amazing to watch because every time he clipped Nate on the head, you could see Nate's head moving. 
And you don't normally see it like that. Because even when Connor fought him, he was clipping him, but he wasn't touching him like that. Rashad, what's the difference between the Jorge from two years ago at Madison Square Garden that got picked apart for three rounds by, by Wonderboy Thompson and looked like a, you know, looked like he wasn't fit for the elite and that guy in round one on Saturday night who landed that insane combination and was putting it on Nate, like stylistically, technically, what are you seeing that's different? I think more than anything is just his confidence. Now he believes, you know, I think he's always had a skill level, but I think, you know, now he's starting to believe in the skill level. You know, sometimes you get a lot of tools in your toolbox and, you know, learning which tools to work and which tools work best for you is the skill that actually makes you reach that ultimate perfection level that you see right now. That's happening right here. And now he's finding his stride because he knows what tools work for him. He knows how to tell the story of the fight that he wants to have. And I think that's something that you don't see a lot of fighters who are in that space where they kind of are trying to find their fighting style. They don't know how to tell the story of how they want the fight to go from the beginning to the end. And I think that he does a really good job of telling that story, starting off the fight with some leg kicks, start off the fight with some good movement, start off the fight with just really good, crisp, technical powerful striking that really showed the flaws that you see in nick in, in nick diaz game that you don't that you i mean nick diaz game that you don't really see too often you know and that's something that you know that that that's just that belief that he had and i think a lot of that had to do with the fact that you know he took some time off and and he just kind of trained and got himself his mindset around his skill level and now we're seeing the fruits of that labor yeah, let's dig back into that. He took that time off. And Brandon, you and I sat down with him that time at ATT ahead of ahead of what? The Askram bout when he wasn't really doing many interviews. And he talked about it, but I didn't really center my focus on it, that he was on that reality show in Latin America like, what, a year, a year and a half ago? And it was some kind of survivor type deal where he's like in the woods and he really had that time to take stock of everything. And if you think about it at that point, he's in his early 30s. He's kind of flirted with the journeyman label and it was there where he claims he you know came up with this idea that i'm going to baptize folks and i'm just not going to care anymore but I, i'm taking it as it was his moment to realize like i'm going all in on my career like you can you can frame it nicely with the i'm going to baptize people from now on but doesn't that mean more like i'm going to train my hardest i'm going to believe in myself full full throttle this part of the story is very inspirational yeah, and it's – I don't even know how to frame that the way that you're saying because it's like you, the way that people were talking about him before this year was like he's a blown-up lightweight who we don't really know what his true weight class is, what his power is, what carries over into 170 because he didn't look the way that he's looked this year at 170 in the past. So I hope that this maintains. I hope that what you're saying is true about the, the belief in himself is just carrying him through this and that he actually doesn't have that fear anymore mm -hmm. and that he's just able to go in there and just know what his best abilities are and perform well because that's what fighters need and and if he can carry that there's no stopping him this reminds me of when i was in uh in college right when i wrestled greg jones it was like towards the end of my senior year and you know i was losing not being consistent in my wrestling i was pretty good but i wasn't consistent in my wrestling and the reason why i wasn't consistent was because i was trying to wrestle the big 10 style which is like a really heavy banging you know you go really really like it's just a rough style but i was more like a finesse type of style wrestler you know moving around dancing that kind of thing so i was losing not being consistent and i had a last my last few matches and i'm like you know what i'm just gonna wrestle the way i i feel the way i feel and just let it out and just have fun 
And when I did that, I was beating people that I shouldn't have beat. One, one is Greg Jones, you know, the guy who was supposed to win the whole NCAA tournament. But and that's what reminds me of Miles Vidal, that moment where he said he's going to start baptizing folks. It was just like, you know what? I, 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 I don't want to play nobody else's game but my own. I want to fight my own style. And you see that the way he moves, the way he has that that slickness to the way, you know, he steps up to the combination and you don't know what he's going to do. You know, that's his style. And until he found that style, you know, he, he, he wasn't he wasn't feeling that confident. But a guy who's found his style is confident in anybody who steps in the octagon with him. And that's what we have in Masvidal. Yeah. Shout out to Greg Jones. Like you mentioned, the three time NCAA Division one champion at West Virginia only lost to three men in college. One of those sugar Rashad Evans. Rashad, talk to me specifically about what Masvidal did mention. The idea that there was fear in in cardio. That like now we're seeing him put a hundred percent of himself into training. But what like do you identify with that? Like there's there's a yeah. what what is yeah. he really talking about there? Well, there there's a fear that happens of if you ever gas out in a fight, it is the worst feeling in the world because you feel like you're on an island. And you're waving for help and everybody is just watching you, but no one can help you. And it's up to you to get back to safety to make sure you can compete for the next round. And it's the most desperate feeling in the world. And you feel like you're the most vulnerable in the world. You hate that feeling. So there becomes a fear around it. And especially if you make it through a fight where you are extremely gassed, you know, there's a big fear around it. So you after that, you always kind of in the back of your mind, hold out a little bit of energy just in case you might gas because it becomes a fear. But holding out a little bit of energy, it makes you gas in the beginning because you're, you're clenching and you're not tight. And when you flow, that's when you're not expending too much energy. But when you're thinking about getting tired, you most definitely will get tired. So I think what he did was he just took the brakes off, he just took the fear off of that and just went to the extreme with his cardio, put himself in, in, in energy deficits in training where he's where he know he's not going to be in a fight. And that way he was able to build his confidence in training so that that way he knew he can go as hard as he wanted to at any pace in a fight and not have the fear of gassing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense right there. As that fight rolled on, of course, we saw Nate make a bit of a comeback in round three when I thought it was pretty clear he lost those first two rounds one-sided. But you got to give Nate credit for for being who he always is, which is a tough SOB, because the combination that floored him and cut him in round one would have stopped just about anybody because Masvidal was so on point. And you see Nate gutting it out, doing Nate stuff. I mean, just the interplay between them guys during this fight was like as fun and refreshing as I've ever seen, right? The the smiles at each other, the the Masvidal faking the uh, flying knee off the opening set, Nate getting up after getting beat down and going right back into that swagger. Like there was like this was this was fun theater again in the purest form of just like we're badasses. Really, the spirit of the BMF, and I think from the standpoint of did it live up to what they were trying to do with the BMF, I thought it exceeded it. But within this third round, was Nate really coming on? In your thoughts, I, I don't. I don't think so. Just because he he still had such a strong, sharp fighter in front of him. I think if he would have been able to, you know, uh, like like he did, you know, he he put some pressure on Masvidal on the third and really started to use the game plan, which I thought he was going to use that wall and brawl and type of you know that that gumming up game that that he's he's really good at. Um, I thought if he would have done that a little bit earlier and a little bit more concisely all the way through the third round. I would have said, okay, there may be a swing about to happen, but I just didn't see Masvidal fading at all. And and it seemed to be that you know the 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 key 
the key things that had him get ahead in the fight were not going to be stopped. And I mean the leg kicks and all the things that, you know, the, the fast combinations. And I don't think that was going to be stopped by anything that Diaz was going to throw. So I just think it may, it may would have got, you know, got a, got a little bit worse for Diaz. Yeah, I can't disagree with that at all. Uh, the stoppage, I get why there was initial controversy, right? It's a BMF fight, and you're stopping it due to, due to, I said, uh, due to the kind of cut that, like, we've recently seen in Nevada, Tyson Fury, the boxing heavyweight champion, go through something much worse. Nate's posting pictures of the same cut in the same spot he had against Anthony Pettis and fought through it. But there's a couple of things in play that I think people need to realize. One, that the New York State Athletic Commission um, is as stringent as I mean, they get a lot of criticism, but they're as nervous and as stringent as possible right now for a reason. And that reason is the Magomed Abdusalamov heavyweight boxing uh, unfortunate situation from like six years ago where he lost to Mike Perez. And then there was some mishandling in his uh, treatment after the fight and he collapsed and he went into a coma. And that was a monster lawsuit and a monster hit against their reputation. So they've been very tight since then. I mean, even in that Deontay Wilder, Luis Ortiz boxing heavyweight championship about a little more than a year ago, Wilder got rallied, got rocked in one round and almost stopped in the next round. They, they stopped the fight, took, 15, 20 seconds to make sure Wilder was okay and let the doctor look at him. And the crowd's booing like, you know, you're giving them a chance to recover. But, I mean, look, New York's tight. New York, they, they didn't even let Pearl fight that time. Remember your girl Pearl, Brandon? They, they, they didn't even let her fight that time. So I get that. But anybody that's going next level and, like, harassing this doctor online, like, are you friggin' kidding me? Um, Nate was going to go down a, a dark road. And the fact that they stopped it when even I get he's rallying and he was rallying to a certain degree, but I had really in my heart, like no issues with that stoppage because yeah, he was going to take hella damage from there on out. And, and that's, go ahead. Go, yeah, no. And, and, and I, and I, and I totally agree with that just because of the simple fact of this, you know, you have, you have Diaz who has a heart of a lion and, and he would go out on the shield every single time. But every single fight is not that situation. You can't have every single fight be that situation, even though you may want it to be. Now, now, now look here. He didn't get the win. He got the, the doctor stopped it. But what did he get? He gets a, he gets a berth into another fight with the same guy. And now he gets to come and bring his game and now take notes of what he, you know, what, what he didn't do well in this fight. You know, you know, maybe he'll check some leg kicks. You know what I'm saying? But but now. Now he has another chance, and he didn't take too much of a, of a beating to his brand. He's still interested. You know, both of those guys, you know, you know, won. They both won that fight, and and and, and it's really rare to have a fight like that with that magnitude, with both of these guys still coming out winning, and people still wanting to see that again. You know, and it, and it's just, you know, you, they couldn't have had a better outcome. And and far as crazy as it sounds. That was that that was magic that happened. You know, that yeah. was a rare thing, and it was magic that happened because you know what it gave birth to. This I mean, BMF belt, I don't know what it's going to become, but it feels like something that can be a thing. It could be a thing. Well, look, both were elevated, like you said, which is true. If they want to go down the road of the BMF being a thing, which I'd said since the beginning, I, I kind of think it should because fans love the crap out of this. And there's a whole subsection of BMF style fighters that we love that really aren't title potential guys. Like they get, they put their head above water at one or two times in their career and enter that conversation, but they may not get there. And this is sort of a way to, I don't know, 
recognize and love them. And look, UFC loves it. They're the ones who gave out, who have been giving out bonuses for knockouts from the beginning. Like, UFC loves this. But, Rashad, even though both fighters said after the fight they they would do a rematch because of the the somewhat inconclusive nature of the stoppage, although I think the, the further we get from it, we realize Masvidal had basically won that fight. Um, Dana doesn't like it. And the more I sit here and think about it, like within five hours after that fight, I'm like, yeah, let's do a rematch. This is great. BMF title can live on. This is perfect. Everybody wins. Now I'm sort of like, wait, Masvidal is the better fighter here. The stoppage was fine. What else would this guy have to do to not get a title shot? And yeah. his, is his star so bright right now that you'd be doing a disservice to your own business by not giving him the winner of Usman Covington? No, it's true. It's, def- it's definitely true. But I think that I think there may be another BMF fight out there for him. And I think it may be a big money BMF fight. I think Conor McGregor is trying to enter the BMF conversation, you know, and I think that would be perfect timing for a Masvidal BMF two with somebody, you know. I, I think that could happen. I that's think that's something point. interesting because – you know, here's what I like about the BMF is is that and whenever we used to have our fights, right before we fought, we would go into the back room and then Dana White, they would have our they would have a talk and they would really just have a talk about, you know, what the bonuses would be, but it was pretty much all about just laying it on the line and who was gonna lay it on the line. And you see guys some guys just take to them like, Yeah, I'm gonna lay it on the line, but then you see some guys that's on the, the proverbial bubble of their career and, and don't want to take that third loss. And they're like, man, I want to lay it on the line, but I need to get this win because I don't want to lose my contract. I think the whole BMF genre of fights can give birth to those guys who just want to go out there and fight and put on a show, win, lose, or draw, and just give the fans something that they're like, this is the sport I want to watch. I think that it can give birth to that. you know. And I think that you know, Masvidal can, can – can carry that flag for a while, but of course, you know, we can move him to, you know, a title fight or whatnot, but his star is hot, you know, he's got a yeah. different kind of uh, star power not right now, you know, being, you know, being part of the whole BMF thing and, and, and having a president tweet his name out and all those different things, you know, these, these are the kind of things that make someone that, that, that star level like a McGregor. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the spirit of the BMF. Let me bang with somebody. Let somebody stand up and bang with me. Um, we've long said that, like, like Connor is like the only thing when somebody's so deserving of a title shot. If they enter the Connor conversation, that's like the perfect substitute because Connor brings so much money and attention that it would be a title shot. But Brando, do you tend to agree with what Masvidal said post-fight, where he's like, "Are you guys trying to get this kid killed?" That if Connor put on the big boy pants and balled up for a Masvidal fight that with the way Jorge's operating right now and all the questions surrounding Connor with just one fight in the last three years that you can't win, bro. No, I don't. How is Connor going to beat him? Because to me, Jorge does everything he does just better at 170. And he feels like a natural 170 now. Like when we talked about him before, he we were like, oh, he might just be going going up to 15 pounds because he doesn't really want to cut the weight. Now he actually looks like he's built for the weight class. We still don't know what Connor is because Connor still wants to be a 155er, and we've seen him at, at 170 against Nate, and it he just doesn't look like he, he still has the same gas tank because he's not he's not staying as in cardio shape because he's trying to put on more muscle. So I just don't see how he has a path to win if that fight's at 170. See, here's my thing on it. I'm like, I'm kind of like this about Connor. Like, I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, y'all must have forgot a little bit because. Oh, the, 
Here's the thing about it. Listen, listen. (laughs) Connor has gotten himself into a lot of trouble. Connor has been a knucklehead or whatever the case may be. But I will say this. It's really hard to count Connor out because of what Connor has done to be in his position to make us know Connor who he is. There's many times where I didn't think Connor was going to be able to to, to hold anyone's jock strap inside the octagon, but he came through and he delivered. So I don't want to just put him out of the conversation saying that he can't hang because this is when Connor's at his best, when he's tried like this, when when he's in a position like this. So he might still have a couple more fantastic fights in him. Now, with all that said, Jorge is on 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 another level right now. So he would be fighting at a ridiculous, you know, level up than he has in a long time. But I like this challenge for him because I think this could bring back the Connor that so many people fell in love with. Well, he knows it would be a striking fest, which would, which he would enjoy, and it wouldn't be a, you know, wrestle fest. But I love the Roy Jones shot out there from Rashad. But the counter to that is... This ain't featherweight Aldo, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, th- this is welterweight Jorge Masvidal. And like I said, I was even slow coming around realizing what we have here. Not just the funny backyard fighter who's winning fights. We've got a super elite guy. I do love the idea of, well, this would bring out everything that's inside of Connor. But Connor showed in the last fight, man, that inactivity is not helping him. And I'm going to be honest, I put I, I doubled down on Connor heading into that Habib fight because I believed in that magic that had been there throughout his initial rise. That idea that, like, he shouldn't win this, but he also shouldn't have won the last four, right? Like, there's something there uh, that I need. That magic's gone in my heart until he can prove that again. So I, I couldn't see I couldn't see him doing anything but but getting hurt here. It'd be interesting. Then again, I you know, then again. Go watch UFC 202 all over again at welterweight, and Connor did bang for five rounds and came out on top. So it's an interesting, you know, it, Brandon. It's interesting. It's interesting, bro. It would sell. Oh hell yeah, it would sell. Can we get to the fun do- topic that you and I keep yelling at each other oh, about? Oh, we'll please? get there, Brandon. I'm wearing a freaking bathrobe. I'm sick as balls. All right, you're lucky I'm on the show. Okay, seriously. Uh, all right, back to the fun topic. Uh, Rashad, can you mediate here? Can you set the uh, damn yeah. record straight in this? In this? in this court trial that we're about to have here. Um, let's, let's, I mean, you can call this the people's court if you want here. Let's, let's get serious about it. You can't handle the truth. No sense. It doesn't fit. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Son, my turn. All right, Rashad. Um, Dana White and Brandon Wise of the CBS Sports State of Combat podcast and many other broskies, Brent Brookhouse of CBS Sports, Chuck Mindenhall of many outlets say that with this victory, Jorge Masvidal, BMF champion, is a slam dunk. He has locked it up. He is your 2019 Mixed Martial Arts Fighter of the Year. Here's what I'm saying, Rashad, and I'm, and I want you to split this difference. So Brandon, if you need to jump in and give your side, bef- you know, before Rashad settles it, that's fine. Um, Jorge has had a tremendous year, right? I mean, knocked out, knocked out Till. Friggin' sent Askren to the deep, dark depths, and then went in there against Nate on a grand stage and lived up to the expectations. So, he, if you're telling me, 
he's reached the ceiling of what you can do in fight of the year credibility without actually winning a legitimate title. And at, at like the, the ceiling for him is number two overall in the fighter of the year belt. I'm like, yes, he he's in this conversation. If you lean his way, I don't, I don't hate it. I'm not here to say that Masvidal isn't deserving of being in this conversation, but I'm also here to tell you that there's like levels to this conversation and I don't see how you could possibly look at what Israel Adesanya has done this year and then just be like, you know, that's cool, but I'm in love with, with the, the three-piece in Minnesota. I'm in love with Jorge because here's the deal about about Adesanya. Um, he won the middleweight championship by knocking out a pound-for-pound ranked guy in a giant setting. Oh, yeah, and he was also in the fight of the year like three months before that and won against a super elite performance from Gaslam. And, oh, yeah, if you just want to sprinkle some more uh, resin on top of this bong, um, he also beat Anderson Silva, a legend. Now, I'm not leaning on that for the argument, but it's part of the conversation. So, Rashad, when I go to figure out who's the fighter of the year in any sport, sometimes if you have that one big win that meant the most, it... it it means the most. Like, I'm here to tell you that Israel Asani's win over Whitaker, it might be like the second best win of the year for anybody. I mean, Stipe's knockout of DC is pretty damn big. And do you remember 2015? Floyd beats Pacquiao. But then he F's around in his retirement fight and beats a guy who shouldn't have been there in Andre Berto. And suddenly there's this hipster argument like, yeah, you know what? F that fight. Canelo is our fighter of the year. He beat Laura. He knocked fools out. He did this. He did that. And then people had to wake up and go, hey, bro, I don't care if you thought the Pacquiao fight was boring. That fight was one versus two pound for pound and f- for the whole damn ball of wax and Floyd won it. He's your friggin' fighter of the year. Get over yourself. I'm here to tell you that Israel Asanya has the strongest case of being. What else would anyone have to do than what he just did and not be the fighter of the year? He launched himself into the pound for pound conversation. He might be the next Anderson Silva. He knocked out a pound for pound rated guy. And he's also a world champion. And shout out to Amanda Nunez. She may she may skirt into this conversation. Skirt's a bad word there, but you get what I'm saying. Um, shout out to uh, people on Twitter hitting me up going, hey, how are you going to have this conversation and not bring up Pitbull from Bellator? Dude knocked out Chandler and holds two belts in the conversation. Masvidal's going to be number two for me in the end. But Brandon, he can't he can't win it. You can't win. I'm sorry. No, I, I totally agree with you, man. I definitely think that, you know, Israel has, has went out there and, and – proved that he is without a doubt head and shoulders above the he is the biggest star in the UFC I mean you know just just his fighting alone is just one thing but you 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 get the feeling like you're watching something really really special when you watch him do anything you know and the the way he believes and his his cues are, are just you know what he says on on camera it's just on point. It's just on point. I'm not saying that Masvidal don't have that, but when it comes to just, you know, who had the bigger schedule, who who will achieve more, it, it's definitely, you know, Israel. Israel has it all day. I mean, a big shout out to Masvidal, you know, what, what he's done and, and the way he's turned away, turned around things and made people, you know, turn his name into a household name. You know, the first time I met Masvidal was with uh, one of my old wrestling coaches, uh, um, uh, back in the day at Jackson's gym, you know, and, and he was coming out there and, you know, he was just a, a scrappy guy back then. You know, we can tell he had talent, but he was just a scrappy guy. And to watch where he's grown from that is remarkable because you 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 never would have thought he would have become that guy. 
at that point, he was just a journeyman type of style fighter. And now he's grown into this guy. So I'm with you all day. I'm with you all day, BC. I think you're right. 100% it's, correct. Shout out to Kamaru Usman. If he beats Covington, he'll also be in this conversation. I don't know if I'd give him the nod. But, Brandon, I want to give you a chance to defend yourself because a lot of people agree with you. And you claimed you were going to come on this podcast and baptize me over this. So, hey, bro, the, the floor is yours. Well, thank you for giving me the floor after your four-minute diatribe there. Um, I just feel like the quality of the performances needs to be a factor in this because Jorge was supposed to be the B-side when he fought Darren Till in London. Like, he went to Darren Till's backyard and did that to him in a second-round knockout and just looked fantastic. Like, he got bullied in the first round of that fight where Till was trying to just throw his weight around and push him into the fence, and he rallied, and he put it on him, man. Then he goes into International Fight Week as the third fight on that card because he wasn't a title fight. And you could argue that that fight had the most heat on it all week. Right, BC? Yes. You could argue that was the that was the fight fans were most looking forward to. The people's main event, as Ariel Helwani would say. <laughs> <laughs> and he does that. Now, I've called it random. I've called it, like, really hard to predict. But he still did something that nobody's ever done in the UFC. A five-second flying knee knockout. Then he headlines what is arguably the biggest pay-per-view event of the year for UFC, the one that had the most casual attention definitely with the president showing up, The Rock showing up and multiple – like just insane amount of people trying to follow what was going on and takes apart Nate Diaz who was arguably one of their biggest stars coming into that fight. So you're telling me – It's a great story. You're just, I mean, I just don't think that Israel's performances have been that level. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God, bro. D- to eat oh your tongue. God. What are you talking about? What? what, what it, Bobby Knuckles? Say, are you in, kidding me, dude? We favored Robert Whitaker ahead of that fight. He was number four or five pound for pound, unless you're an a-hole. <laughs> it was an even betting fight. What are you talking about? Right, because Israel's badass. And he just walked through Gaslam in the fight of the year. Went through. He actually went to Hades. And came out unflamed, bro. I don't believe it. I mean, Anderson Silva, the Anderson Silva fight does have right. to factor into this. It's sprinkle on top. And by the way, he won. He won against a legend. I'm not leaning he on that fight. Bad. If he didn't, here's the deal. If the Gastelum fight never happened, and my argument was, hey, Izzy beat Silva, Izzy beat Whitaker, I'm still saying Israel's got an argument there, but I could get where you're going to argue that, all right? But no, he's got the he's, dude. Don't are you going to sit here and act like the Gaslam fight wasn't like? What did Kelvin Gaslam look like this weekend, BC? Oh, you can't. That can't be part of the, <laughs> the argument because he wasn't. But he not part of the argument against Jorge when he beat Darren Till, and then Darren Till comes back and looks like this. Okay, two things here. One, Kevin <laughs> Ga- Kelvin Gaslam fought like a champion that night in April in Atlanta. Two. Uh, maybe he got damaged from that performance. Okay, there's, that's what I'm going to say. Okay, maybe. Darren Till was coming off of three straight knockout losses. I don't think it was three. It was two. Really? Okay. Um, look, good win for Darren Till. That doesn't really factor into this conversation, though. Okay, that's fine. And this is not against you, Brandon. It's not a. Per- I see the tears rolling up. It's not a personal attack. All right. Um. Do you? Should, how high should we put Pitbull? That this dude on Twitter reminded me. Got up in my face, and uh, I was like, you know what, bro? You're right. You're, you're damn right. Pitbull. Pitbull's a badass. He's probably three right now. Yeah, I think I think he's definitely up there. You know, uh, Chandler is Chandler's a beast. Chandler's a beast, and uh, to to be able to do what he did, Chandler, you know, he's he's up there. Yeah, and then against Juan Archuleta too. Yeah. Shout out to Jeff Cole Jr. at I am Jeff Cole underscore one three one for the shout out there for Pitbull. 
All right. Um, we got a lot more to talk about on this show. Maz Vidal, BMF, t- taking up a lot of our, our thing there. Uh, before we take a break, though, Jorge's calling out Canelo. Um, can we can we just keep moving on? Can we stop? Can we stop yeah. this crap? Yeah. Nobody should be calling out Canelo. That I mean, dude is. I get some- it, right? Canelo made $35 million on Saturday because he's in, like, this Floyd zone of popularity and all that. And his own throwing around stupid money to try to make an imprint in boxing and yes Jorge Masvidal is getting severely underpaid what do you get what do you get paid Brandon what was the the tally was like, I think it was like 500,000 and even if by the way even if there's extra bonuses he's, in that there got, probably got, is bro, probably got he's probably got sponsors probably got a million dollars backstage bonus so he probably got walked away with that like 1.5 okay so even if that's the case um yeah he's severely underpaid okay because boxers I mean Sergey Kovalev got 12 million uh, on Saturday, okay, so yeah, he's severely underpaid. So you would get why he's doing this. You would get why uh, uh, Habib's dad's on Instagram and Russian is putting out talking more about this Habib Floyd fight. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want it in my life. And by the <laughs> way, October expired without Dana giving us the Zufa boxing update, Brandon. Okay, I told Jack on Saturday. I thought that the whole Rock press conference on Friday was going to be the Rock as like that secret guy that has this whole boxing plan. <laughs> Rock is the boxing commissioner for Zufa. Yeah, that, that'd be interesting. Instead, it's the Mark Kerr biopic, which, by the way, like shout out to the Smashing Machine Mark Kerr. This is probably going to be great. If the Dwayne Johnson's going to play Mark Kerr in this movie, it'll probably be fantastic. But unfortunately, most of people like heard that announcement. They were like, oh, OK, Dwayne, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. He's going to headbutt so many people. Thanks for showing up. Yeah, by the way, last night I went because I'm ill. I went and watched all of Mark Kerr's uh, UFC fights over again, including the one at UFC 15 when the Just Bleed guy came out. That was fantastic. All right, there. Hey, we're going to talk about much more uh, from last weekend, preview what's coming up this weekend, and we're going to do that after a word from our friends and sponsors. Yeah, all right. Dig it. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. BC, Sugar Rashad Evans, B-Dubs coming back at you. Uh, Broskis, let's round up what else we saw at UFC 244. We mentioned it. Darren Till moving up to middleweight. Somewhat of a desperate situation. Dana White said don't do it. Coming off a two-fight losing skid of knockouts. Moves up to fight face a Kelvin Gastelum through from his performance against Adesanya. I'm like, look, I'm sorry. Gastelum's going to walk him down and finish him. And flips the script entirely and wins a very technical decision over three rounds. But Rashad, Till, who I was never high on, thought he was sort of the second-rate, maybe Conor McGregor that UFC forced into a position he didn't earn, 
then comes out and wins my heart by being like, here's the deal, folks. I was just in that locker room considering faking an injury to get out of this fight, and I just walked down and beat my demons. Um, they, that's, a, that's a face turn right there. Darren Till's on my list now. I love the guy. What a performance, Rashad. That's real. That's, that's friggin' real as ish. Yeah, and this is the Darren Till that I will watch on video. You know, watching him uh, just getting to know who he was. I've seen him on film, and I'm like, man, this guy moves really, really good. But then when he fought, he didn't fight it the same. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was cutting so much weight. But now it looks like he's gotten to the right weight, and he can fight at that energetic level and the level that he is best at. What I liked most about this fight was the fact of how Darren Till was able to draw in Calvin Geshelum and then spring out and then hit him with combinations and his combination striking was so crisp and just the bounce on his his feet Till has a nice natural bounce on his feet and when he comes in with those combinations it's 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 pretty devastating and he has his wrestling impressed me as well you know being able to get up um, being able to prevent shots you know he looked like the bigger fighter in there and that's one thing that I thought really that that was going to be extremely uh, beneficial for him as a fight as he grows into this weight class because he's going to get bigger. He's going to get stronger and he's going to be able to use more of his size. And then he still has the attributes that made him a threat at 170 being the speed and being the quickness. You know, those are attributes that the one the 185 pounders are going to have to get used to. And I think that may be something that um that that Kelvin Geshlem had to get used to too, just that that speed and just that power along with it. You know, uh, he didn't expect Darren Till to be so fast, so powerful, and have great movement. And it was a great surprise because Darren Darren Till surprised everyone. And you know, going into this fight, I I thought maybe you know he was he had a little bit too much on his plate. You know, psychologically speaking, you know, I thought he was putting too much on there. You know, putting him painting himself into the bat. You know, to to a corner that that he was going to have a hard time getting out of just because, you know, whenever you like, I have to do this, I have to win this fight, and you put yourself at the ultimatum state when you have to perform, you're just adding another opponent in there for you to compete against, yeah. which is yourself. And he handled that pressure so well, and I think we have he has given birth to a real contender at his 185 division. Yeah, I, I felt like this was a major turning point moment for him, and, and sometimes you need that on your – on your rise to anything in life. So it was a very human moment. And look, we knew that the size and the talent and all of the things you just said were there. To see it come out, I mean, Ga- Brandon, your boy Gaslam was frustrated, man. This wasn't so much a a, a, a domination of, of skill or power. It was straight up frustration. It's frustration, but it's also how Kelvin has fought, man. Like, outside of the Izzy fight, his fights are not exactly the most entertaining because – He's trying to wait for those counter shots way too much. And when he's tentative like that, it becomes a frustrated Kelvin. Like, go back and – I know you, you're going to laugh, but go back and watch that that Chris Weidman fight. He didn't look right, man. And it looked like this again tonight where he just – he felt tentative. And I don't know where you put him now in the rankings or, or matchmaking because he can't have that kind of mental block and still be a top five fighter. Very I true. think he'll get it back. I, you know – Here's the thing about it. Whenever you have a big fight like that, there, there's always there, – there tends to be a hangover sometimes because it's just like once you climb the top of the mountain and you're just like, oh, my gosh, now i got to gear myself up to climb it again. Well, the guy who's already in progress 
and who hasn't been to the top of the mountain, he has more momentum and he has more enthusiasm to make it to the top of the mountain because he's never been there. And that's what we have with Darren Till and we have with Kelvin Geshlam. Kelvin was just there. Now he's trying to build back that, that feeling of excitement to try to give his best effort in every fight to be worthy of a title shot. And now he got sat down by Darren Till. It's going to take a minute for him to say, okay, I need to recalibrate myself totally all over again and then refocus, recenter my sights on, on this championship again. Because if you do not, you, you're going to be fighting without that extra thing behind you. You're going to be stepping into the octagon with a guy who's looking at you like you're that opportunity. And that's what, and I can say, speak from my experience because when I climbed to the top, you know, it, when I didn't go in there, when I, when I lost and then I went in there with somebody else after, it just didn't feel the same for me. I couldn't get myself up for it. But when you're climbing to the top of the mountain, you get yourself up for every single fight because you know that that is not your final destination. You know that's just one step along the way. You know, and I think that um, Calvin has to just recalibrate his mind and get his mind around where he wants to be. Man, this game and this life we live, it's so freaking mental. It really is 90% mental. It, it really is. It really is. When you start diving into it, it's, it's really mental. I mean, you see so many people accomplish so much at times when you're like, well, that guy ain't that good. Or, and, and so, I mean, look, you can go back to the Connors rise, man. It, it was so much of that was just insane confidence and belief in those moments. It, it's incredible. It's inspiring in some, to some degree. Uh, I want to have this conversation now because we're talking about the middleweight title picture, uh, to add on to Adesanya's, by the way, Adesanya was supposed to be on the show this week. I became ill, was unable to interview him, was unable to get words out of my mouth yesterday, so I apologize for that. But Adesanya was all over ESPN, everywhere else, saying what we want to hear. A man of the people, a man after our own hearts. He wants all the smoke. He wants to put his head inside the smoke machine, and he wants Yoel Romero now that Man boy, Paulo Costa is hurt for the next title shot. Brandon, that's like open up a box of Cracker Jacks and you reach down deep and there's a woman in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we're <laughs> we're going to throw Yoel right back into the title picture again, even after that loss, I mean, I, I don't care. I'm very fine with this. This is like goes back to that saying that Dana White where he talks about it doesn't even matter if our fighters lose because they just know that these kinds of guys are the ones that are going to go in there and bang. And well, was, yeah. I don't. I don't think he lost that fight. That wasn't a loss. That that was just a bad decision by the judges. That's what I say. And not to take anything away from Paulo Costa. I mean, he went out there and he fought as hard, but he fought his heart out. But I believe that Yoel won, won that fight. And anybody who watched that fight, in my opinion, I thought they thought the same thing. But this call out is is something that that's it's a ballsy move because. From what I know about Yoel and from what I know about the people that, that faced him, they're like, this dude is not human. They say when you hit him, he's, they, they say he, it's like hitting uh, iron. They say he's, he, it doesn't even feel right. It feels, it's like a, it's like a, um, a thud that just doesn't go anywhere. You know, he just like, it, he's not, they say he's not human. So, uh, it, it's, it's interesting that, that Israel is, uh, you know, he, he's believing and this is part of him. This is part of him doing something greater. You know, he he, he fights for that part. You know, that the I want to be something special, you know, and doing something like that, 
being what you say you want to be, I want to be something special, you have to take fights like this. You have to take fights like against guys that scare the crap out of you because this is what's going to make them a legend. And I like this call out. I mean, dude, this is a sick call out. It, it, everything you just said. It's, it's, damn, I love that. Um, the, the case against Romero, like you tease there is that he's what, uh, is he one in three in his last four with two miss, with two times missing weight yet? I thought he beat Whitaker in the rematch. I thought he beat Costa, like you just mentioned. Um, unfortunately for our our Bonaire right now is that uh, Dana White just spoke with a vlogger called Adam's Apple in the last 12 hours and said, I'm sorry, Romero's going to have to win a fight first before he's going to get a title shot. And the problem with that idea is by the time Romero would have won the fight and came back, Paulo Costa would be ready for a title shot. So my question to Dana to the the Sean Shelby's of the world and and to you guys is if if it ain't Romero who who would it be it's not Darren Till I mean he, he just walked in the middleweight front door um who the hell is it I mean I think it's gonna end up being somebody like Jared Cannonier <sighs> yeah I mean he's not he's not undeserving but yeah I get it I get it I know I get it Rashad you get it right I mean I get it I get it, but I, I like Cannonier, and I would love to see him have a little bit more steam before he gets that title shot because I think that he's got that that bruiser type. I mean, you know, what I'm saying this if if set up right, I can see you know it could be George Foreman versus Muhammad Ali. You know what I'm saying with with, with Israel and and a bruiser like uh like like Cannonier or Sonny Liston. You know, some somebody who can just 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 knock you out just knock you out when he has that brutal strength and that power that you know you haven't seen Izzy face you know what I'm saying and can he get past it you know because this guy is is big he's strong and he, and he hits hard you know and and I think that that will be something for Israel if we can build up Cannoneer the right way if it ain't Cannoneer it might be Edmund Shabazian by the way not just kidding but uh he's like next in line on the, on the rankings who is not coming off a loss we'll get to his fight in a second but you mentioned Sonny Liston by the way Showtime has a Sonny Liston doc coming out I was able to watch it early with a with a media stream there badass doc you're not going to want to miss this on Liston's controversial life and mysterious death it's it'll fire you up it'll fire you up all right all right thank you um wow uh I love Adesanya. I love what he's trying to do for us. Also on this card this past week, Wonderboy Thompson bounced back in a big way. I certainly picked against him, maybe even bet against him out there in Vegas. Vicente Luque took uh, took hellacious strikes in this fight of the night, three-round welterweight bout. Um, Wonderboy's he's back. Yeah, he is, and, and he showed um, the patience and the concentration throughout the whole fight, you know. I thought he looked great in the fight with... Um, with Pettis, but he just had that concentration lapse in the end. And I thought, you know, I thought he kind of picked back up where he was before he got caught with that punch is kind of with that, with the same, you know, game plan as far as just being really precise and really concise with the strikes and having them, you know, and, and here's the thing about it going against a guy like Luke K who has the ability to just bite on his mouthpiece and go forward and just hit you with whatever you're hitting him back with, you know, that, that was a great uh, defensive effort on, on Thompson's part. And just, you know, a, a willingness to show that, you know, he, he can go in there and and fight a smarter fight against, a, you know, the top grinders in the sport. You know, that was a big, big win for him. So uh, shots out to him. You know, I, I trained with Luke for this fight. And, uh, you know, Wonderboy was was the better fighter with, with the great movement and just kept, 
Luke just, you know, gassing all night. And Brandon, even though Wonder Boy married into the Wyden family, it was good to see him not get caught up in the Wyden curse at the moment. Thank you. Um, hey, Kevin Lee, you guys know, I think he's going to win a world title one day. I think he's friggin' amazing. He doubled down on himself in this fight, going in there against Gregor Gillespie, cutting right back down to lightweight, uh, fighting through a really weird nipple type of situation on his chest, some kind of, uh, uh remember he had that against Ferguson? What the hell is going on there? And. Yeah, staff infection and sends Gregor Gillespie to hell via highlight reel knockout. An argument for knockout of the year. Gillespie hits his head on the cage on the way down. And I was watching that fight on pins and needles because Lee's getting lit up at certain times. But you want to talk about going all in to remind us that you're still here. Uh, I'm back on the Kevin Lee hype train huge. I don't know if he put it all back together, but he needed this win and he got it. Yeah, I like it. This is a big win for him and it just kind of, um, you know, he's trained at TriStar now. And, you know, the thing about this sport is, is, is about believing. And sometimes when you're not in a place where you're, you're feeling that energy, you got to go somewhere else where you can feel the energy. And he found a place in Toronto, I mean, in Montreal. And that is a great place because you got the likes of George St. Pierre. You have Faraz Zahabi. You have, you know, so many great fighters and so many great fighters walk through that door. You know, when you go in there, you're getting the best training. And you see him step into the octagon. With that in his mind, yeah, I train with the best. Yeah, I put in the work. I got that confidence. And that's something you haven't seen Kevin Lee have before in a while. You know, he's had that. He's Now he has the confidence. I can go. I can go and push myself to the limit. I'm not going to gas out. You know, that that's what the Kevin Lee, when he's on that mindset, when he's not afraid to fight the way he can fight, a fear of getting tired, then you have a guy who can land these devastating shots. Um, I love the confidence, but they're going to have to teach him some defense. In every single fight, he gets lit up. I mean, you know, whether he's fighting Barbosa and he wins, whether he's fighting RDA and he loses, um, I think he needs a slight change in that regard. Yeah, I, I thought I thought he looked a little bit better in this fight, though, because he was staying low and compact. He was trying to keep his target like as minimal as he could. And, I mean, Gregor's just a good – I mean, Gregor just looked good as a striker up until he gets his head kicked off. Do you like Gregor's tat game, Brandon? I'm I'm not moved by it. All right. <laughs> I mean, I respect it. All right, all right. We got to roll on. Uh, it's time, Brandon, for you to speak on your boy, the carnival clown himself, Johnny Walker weirdo. Uh, I say that as a joke. All respect to Johnny Walker. He had some insane highlight reel knockouts to get to this point. But Rashad and I said last week, man, Corey Anderson could be the test maker, the test man who grinds him down, who takes him down. Oh, he didn't just do that. He sent him to hell in one round. Vicious strikes, a cut. And then Corey Anderson went wild afterwards. Um, I was pumped for Anderson because, let's not forget, he tried to get himself into a John Jones title fight at a card show. Dana was like, sorry, dude, you're not that guy. Back off. And now he's basically like, check my resume now. Brandon, I want to sit you up on on the, ch- the big boy chair. And uh, what happened here? What happened with your boy? Dude, it was bad. I mean... Johnny tried to to use his weird and awkward style with his angles and stuff, and it just it wasn't doing anything. Like Corey just was just so patient with his striking. He waited to see the openings, and as soon as as uh, as Johnny pulled his hand down, it was it was lights out because Corey was just so precise with his punches and his kicks that Johnny just never really had a chance. Especially when he's like gets lit up, he tries to stumble down and and get into a um, tie clinch, and Corey was just like okay. And just started ripping with uppercuts. So you guys nailed it, man. Uh, Johnny Walker was not ready for the big bright lights yet. He was not ready for a top three or top four opponent. And 
Corey Anderson, man, I think he did. If he doesn't get a title shot now, like, I don't know what UFC is doing. You know what? The, the true hero in this is is Mark Henry, his striking coach. Mark Henry has brought Corey Anderson along so much and really under helped him understand striking to, to now where uh, Corey has become such a great striker because he sees it. Mark Henry, what he does, he calls out plays and he calls them out during your fight and you hear him call out a, a play. And then the play is normally like, you know, your your wife's name or your kid's name, but the play will correlate to like say for instance he say his wife is you say his uh, son his son's name and then the com- the combination to his son's name is like a one two three and just by saying his son's name Corey has a whole combination in his mind so Mark brings the guys to that level so you understand combination punching like that but then you know you start to understand what you see out there and he has become a master of just seeing the openings and with a guy like Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker moves so big, and when a guy moves so big, they leave a lot of holes. Especially if you stay tight, you stay compact, and you stay in your in, in your in your uh, in your circle. So when Johnny Walker started reacting so big off of every single thing that Corey was going to do, I knew he was going to get caught with something because Corey and part of Mark's game is to draw you out with a fake, and then it's usually the second or third punch. That's going to send you to hell. And that's what happened. Johnny Johnny Walker got caught on his back heel. And like Anderson Silva, when you're on your back heel, there's nowhere else you can go. You're, all your weight is on your back heel. You can't move any other way. You just put a stake in the ground and you just show the guy as far as you can go. All he has to do is follow up and he can catch you, as you've seen. And that's the problem with the guy like Johnny Walker. All that movement does do good. But it only does good if you can do enough to bring your opponent out to make him make those mistakes. It's a good breakdown there. I like that. And look, you know, uh, in John Walker's favor, when you get those type of highlight reel wins that are just absurd and it's just coming to you easy, I'm not even sure he knew how good he was. We certainly didn't know. And then you get in there with a guy who who is prepared for it and can handle it. So I want to live in a world, I always say it, where losses are positive they teach you or you're not buried oh johnny walker's been solved no no he really you know he's gonna be able to bounce back from this hopefully he will but uh Corey anderson now is on a run where if you asked me right after that fight is he a title contender i've been like well hold on but then you look at his resume he beat that barista patrick cummins but then wins over glover Teixeira, beefy latifi and now johnny walker he's making he's making a Making a move at him. I think Dom Reyes is 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 probably going to get it. Maybe a tiny bit more deserving. He's also in that Toyo Tires commercial, which shows you that usually is a path to the top. But uh, Corey Anderson in this conversation now, Brandon. Somebody get John Jones up in the bullpen. Yeah, yeah. John, I mean, John needs a fight, man. Plain and simple, he needs a fight, and he needs to stop talking like he's not actually going to fight any of these guys. Oh wow! Yeah, you call Here, here's the thing about a, a Corey Anderson. You're not. He's very underwhelming. And, and and by that, you know, he does go out there and he is a hard worker and he's overtime, just like the name says. But there's nothing that just draws you to him as far as being like, oh, this is that guy. So he's he's very he's super hard to prepare for. And when you get in there with him, I promise you, it's like nothing else. The kid has a a, a battery that just goes on and on and he can strike take you down, wash and repeat, and do that ad nauseum and not show any signs of fatigue. And that's something that is 
is rare at that light heavyweight weight class. And if he can go in there and impose that kind of pace and not get caught with some big shots, John Jones has a tougher fight than he would probably anticipate looking at a Corey Anderson on paper. Wow, getting me fired up. Hey, Brandon, what's this note you have in the run? Dan Hardy saying Johnny Walker was taunting Anderson backstage. Is that why Corey went nuts? Yeah, it, there's a lot of weird stuff going around like this that they're saying Johnny was taunting people. And I don't know if I really believe that, but because I just think that Corey was just so excited after the fight because he was he was he was leaped on all week for being the guy that's basically the the gatekeeper. And then he just knocks him out and and let all of that energy out. He nearly headbutted Johnny after that after the ref stopped the fight when he was being held back and. He did, he did the worm too. So I, he apologized for all of those antics, but I really kind of wish he didn't just because he kind of deserved that more than anything. Interesting. I mean, fight, fighters handle their nerves differently. Some fighters, they, they act clownish. They, they, you know, they fool around. And a lot of that you don't think is nerves because they're acting so boisterous. But a lot of that sometimes the more boisterous a fighter acts, the more he's trying to mask and try to show he's not as, as nervous as he is. You know, so that that could have been a sign. Now looking back, you know, all these things are a sign because at the end of the day, I believe it, it, it's it's all mental. Indeed. A final note on 244 is what I mentioned earlier: the middleweight prospect Edmund Shabazian extends his unbeaten record. Highlight real head kick against Brad Tavares. Um, this kid's for real at 21. But uh, did you guys get moved at all by Edmund Tarverdian, the king of head movement, uh, go, coming to tears after this fight? I, I, I like that. I like that. It shows, you know, he, he's got a lot of passion. He's put a lot in this kid. You know, this kid I, I met a few years back, uh, back in OC, Orange County. And uh, he told me he was going to be in this position. And, you know, he told me about the relationship that he had with his coach. And I thought it was a special relationship back then. And it's just good to see that, you know, a coach is, is just in, in a fighter have this kind of connection. Because when you see the tears come out, that's just that that that, that kid, you're like your son. You know, you put some real work into that kid. One, one last note there to uh, Jair Rosenstruck get the, the quick knockout of Andre Arlovsky, and now he's going to be put right back in on December 7th in the main event of U- UFC DC against Alistair Overeem because Walt Harris is still trying. They're doing the search for his uh, missing stepdaughter. Interesting, interesting stuff. Um, Before we get into this weekend's preview real quickly, did you see one championship sent out that note? That uh, the entire world apparently watched their most recent card, that uh, that hundredth anniversary card. They're saying eighty five million viewers worldwide, record breaking. Uh, <laughs> can you prove it? I don't know. I mean, this is like uh, insanely. Uh, I mean, it's it's great. It's 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 very impressive. But uh, I don't know. I mean, look, this was everyone's goal going back to. Bob Arum and Zhu Shiming trying to take over Chinese boxing for a, for a hot second there, and it didn't work out. Everybody is of the idea that if we go to Asia, then, you know, it's just an untapped market. UFC's there right now, but I don't know. Something, I mean, 85 million viewers? China alone bringing in over 10 million live viewers? And where's the other 75 million? I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, listen, those Asian numbers are different, you know. I, yeah, who, who knows? Who knows, to be honest, you know, because, I mean, I, I know, I know that you know, Ung is, is is a superstar. You know, the Burmese Python. He he's a superstar, and uh, I can I can see it. You know, he he's got a lot of a huge following that I didn't even really know because he's such a quiet guy. But 
You know, I could see some millions and millions of people watching him fight. Interesting. Brandon, do you believe it? Be honest. Come on. You're not getting a job with one. Don't worry about it. Do you believe it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Chashri posted a picture that you could have watched it on the planes that they have over there. Like one championship was like on demand or like a, a live TV option. So maybe they're counting that too. So they're I counting believe everybody him, on I every plane that I was in the sky. Him, yo. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right. This weekend, we've got a pair of cards. One a little bit more important than the other. But UFC Fight Now Night Moscow is upon us on Saturday. And hell yeah, this card's interesting, man. This is very interesting. Our main event, featherweight bout, Zabit Magomed Sharapov in there against a real banger and Calvin Cater. Rashad, is this Zabit's final hurdle? Should he win it? And this is no gimme fight to really legitimately entering this title conversation. Because if you told me Zabit Max Holloway was going to happen while I was still alive on this earth in the next year, and I may die from this illness from Vegas, um, good God, I'd be taking my clothes off. Yeah, I think this is the final test, you know, that will show and actually bring the attention and show people and get people, as you would say, woke up on Magomed Shapirov because of the fact that this guy, and he's another one of those uh, – Mark Henry, guys, is a special, special athlete. I watched this guy do some things that I'd never seen any martial artist do in live sparring. You know, he, what he does is is absolutely amazing because he's so creative in there and he just has so much fun. And when you watch him train with his with, with his group of fighters, the Dagestani crew that, that he, he rolls with, you know, they, they have sessions where they just have, you know, just do nothing but just imagination techniques where they just do a bunch of crazy stuff. And they get comfortable doing it and to the point where it becomes like second nature to do it, you know, and they get the perfect timing down. And, you know, Zabit's one of those guys, you know, watching him uh, train. I, I really think, you know, he's definitely a world champion one day. He, he's yeah. going to be that guy. But Calvin Cater is definitely that that test, to, you know, to show if he is that guy. Brandon, it's really hard not to look at your boys to be and think exactly what Rashad, Rashad said. Um do you think this will be violent, or is Zabit's going to be able to control Cater's offense? Oh, man. I don't know. I feel like Cater is a better striker than a lot of people give him credit for. I feel like he, he's going to come in there with a, a really good game plan. I also think that the really weird switch from this being in Boston to now being in Russia <laughs> might have a little bit more impact on Cater than we think. Fair point. Uh, Dagestan I, is all I, over this card, by the way. This is this is a heavy uh, uh, Habib's boy card. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> I mean, I think that Cater will be able to put a get put together some offense and be able to stifle Zabit's striking and and submissions a little bit. But I still think that this is a showcase opportunity for Zabit. Uh, let's talk about. I can't wait for this fight. By the way, Zabit tells is just screaming title uh, to me. But uh, the co-main event is going to bring a lot of intrigue. Greg Hardy, quick turnaround after that last fight. Uh, who, who did he fight in the last? Oh, against uh, the the damn uh, wombat, and he's going to step up insane levels. Rashad, they say there's levels to this, and Greg Hardy's going from like the the county fair circuit to the major leagues here against Alexander Volkov. All six seven of him. Who hasn't fought, of course, since that uh, dramatic knockout loss to Derek Lewis over a year ago, in which he was winning every second of that fight? 
Um, this is the deep end of the pool, Rashad. And if you're going to ask me straight up what's going to happen, Greg Hardy's going to get his ass kicked. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You got to find out how good you are. But do you think it's time for this? Yeah, and this is what we talked about when he had the fight, the want, the combat wombat. You know, we wanted to see Greg Hardy tested. You know, you know, I, I, I love the energy that Greg brings, and and it just seems that he's just missing the dance partner a lot of times. You know, because he he goes out there with great energy, but then something normally weird happens, and you don't know if it's weird happens because the guy is almost as novice as he is, or just because you know. Weird stuff always happens when he fights. We don't know. Or if we he's a damn yeah. cheater, that like some people think. We don't know. We just have to figure out what what that is. But I believe in a kid, and I, and I really, really believe in his upside as the UFC does. And I think this is a perfect test for him because you know Volkov is is a battle tested, tough guy who is talented in many different areas. And if he can get past this guy, he can really put a stake in the ground and say, "Yeah, I'm that dude at heavyweight. Come and see me." Yeah, this is a, a real all-or-nothing opportunity. Now, Brandon, could Greg Hardy F around and knock him out in the first round? Absolutely. He has plus athleticism, real power. But when I look at this fight, Volkov is a, is a, is a point fighter. He's a kickboxer. He's smart. He's got size and length and, and controls distance well. Go back and look at what he did against Derek Lewis until the dramatic stoppage at the end. I don't see any scenario but... Greg Hardy getting picked apart and then completely gassing out and then maybe having a Dada moment. Okay, that's okay. Okay, that's too harsh. Okay, you went too far. He's not gonna have cardiac arrest, but uh, I mean, dude, he's he's diving into the pool, the deep end, but the deep end's got flames coming out of it. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know if I'll go that far, but it's gonna be a damn test, and this is what we've been waiting for for him. It's. I feel like that first round is going to be so important just because we're going to see how he's moving. And if he's able to keep that that pace that he does based from his NFL background with his with his quick speed um, in and out of the breaks, I feel like that's going to be more of a factor than anything, because if he's able to get inside on on Volkov and, and land some good punches. I mean, we've seen Volkov's chin be a little bit questionable in the past, so I, I have my my concerns about that. But I, I do agree with you that I think Volkov's best path to victory is to keep it on the outside, touch him up from from distance, and, and coast in a 15-minute decision. Yeah, I just want to remind people that Volkov had won six straight before that Derek Lewis fight, including wins over Fabricio Verdum, Roy Nelson. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be hella interesting. Is uh, our uh, uh, asthma breathing things legal in Russia? Jeff Nowitzki actually just post sent out a, a memo that he will not be allowed to use the inhaler. the inhaler in this fight. But you can legally shoot up between rounds. It's Russia, probably. Right? <laughs> you, could, you could probably ask a woman to make you a sandwich between rounds or, or, or something. Yeah, okay, all right, let's stop now before we get out of control. It's going to be an interesting fight. Uh, the rest of the card is, is look, uh, Abu Bakar Nurmagomedov is going to make his UFC debut. There's a lot of those type of guys on this card. It's going to be interesting. You see your uh, Kayla Harrison's boyfriend, um, Tony Rocco Martin is going to go in there as well against a, a Ramazan guy. Um, all right, yeah. Look, there's a lot of names on here that you're going to struggle to try to pronounce, but um, I'm sure there's they can also, all There's also Danny uh, Hot Chocolate Roberts is back. Yes, Ed Herman probably going to get sent to hell by Kadis and Bragamoff. It's going to be fun. All right, we're going to see what this happens, how this plays out. I want to close by mentioning there is a Bellator card this weekend, low profile. We're back in Thackerville, folks, for Bellator 233. Um, fighters by the names of John Salter and Costello Van Stinas 
will be in the main event. Maybe I'm ignorant. Or maybe I just don't know who they are. But our boy King Mo is going to go out on his own terms in this co-main event. King Mo, by the way, who if you don't know about him. King Mo's a tough son of a bitch. That guy's all right with me. Thank you, Chael. We love us some King Mo. He's going to have a retirement bout against 14-6 and six Andrew Capel in the co-main event. Rashad, you love yourself some Mo Lawal like we do. Can he go out with a win here? I think so. You know, I got a chance to watch Mo a little bit. And, uh, you know, he's got a highlight video. And one thing I did see, I seen, you know, the things that, that Mo didn't have before returning back. You know, I thought, you know, in, in, in watching him spar, his counter striking was back. You know, he wasn't, he, he wasn't, uh, just trying to look for that big shot anymore. He was throwing better combinations and getting out of the pocket, uh, defensively responsible. So, and then also his level change and that fakes and fangs, that slick style that we've seen way, way back in the day, it, he's got a little bit of back. You know, he's he's uh, lost some weight. And I think, you know, it's it's allowed him to go out and train as, as much as he uh, as much as he wanted to. And also, I think taking on this role as kind of like a coach esque type role has allowed him to examine his skill from a different position. So now his he's his analytical mind is, is better when it comes to uh, executing his techniques. So he, he's executing his technique a lot better. Don't mess with King Mo in his home of ATT or his new home of Thackerville on Friday night. In my home. This is my home right here. This is America Top Team. Don't just, don't disrespect me in my home. Thank you, King Mo. I hope he goes out with a W. <laughs> oh, that's the show for this week. Rashad, you're, are you heading off to the motherland? Dude? I got to run right now. I'm, I'm about to be late to the airport, guys. <laughs> going to Rushka. Yeah, going to Rushka. Wish me Rushka. Wish me, well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right, for BC, for B Dubs, for Sugar Rashad Evans, we only got two words for you, folks. We out. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here.